Welcome to Sexology, a podcast that untangles the science of sex and pleasure. And now, with this week's episode, your host, clinical psychologist, Dr. Nazanin Moali. Hello and welcome back to episode 294 of Sexology Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Nazanin Moali. As as always, I am super excited that you're joining us today. Today we're going to talk about how you can have sexy and passionate experiences in your marriage, in your long-term relationship. If you are someone that comes from a conservative community or if you're someone that religion is a big part of your life. Because the way I grew up, like hot sex and marriage often go don't go together because of the conflicting messaging that I received in my community about what sex is supposed to be. Before going into this episode, I want to share with you that we have a gift for you. So if you're struggling with low desire, I wrote a free book that you can download. It's in the show notes on a natural way that you can increase your desire today. It's intended for women and I include tons of different strategies and tips and it's my gift for you. Many of the people who come to my practice are women who are struggling with low desire and they want to connect with their sexual self and this could be a really good beginning for you. As I mentioned, today we're going to talk about rescue and reframing sex to be something that doesn't necessarily contradict with your religion and and see that how people can navigate those healthy sex lives that are that are congruent with their beliefs. Our guest is Sheila Gregoire. I got introduced to her book, The Great Sex Rescue, by another sex therapist as I was looking for resources for my clients who are who identify as Christian. As you know, that I I grew up in a religious community, but I don't have many of the religious beliefs that many people have. So I wanted to find the resource for her. And I started reading Sheila's book and I fell in love. What's interesting is she and her co-author surveyed thousands of women and they did focus groups and they looked into various research and they found that what are some of the messaging that people get that gets in the way of them having wonderful sex life in their marriages? And I'm going to talk about what are some of the findings of those survey surveys that they did and how can people feel emotionally close during sex with their partner? Partner. It's very, it's a very interesting book. Make sure you're getting it. Again, it's called The Great Sex Rescue. And we have the author on the show. The author is Sheila Ray Gregoire, is a face behind to love, honor, and vacuum.com, the largest single blogger marriage blog, a sought after speaker. She's also an award winning author of nine books, including The Good Girl's Guide to Great Sex and The Great Sex Rescue. Sheila has a master in public administration and master of arts in sociology, both from Queen's University. Sheila built a successful blog to love, honor, and vacuum with traffic of one of one of one million page views a month. That is amazing. You can read her full bio in the show notes. Before we go to the episode, I want to take a moment and thank our sponsor. 
Cozy Earth. Cozy Earth is a premium sheet and bedding and loungewear that are incredibly soft and comfortable. I have both their sheets and their pajamas, and they are one of the best quality material that I own with the sheet. It's like sleeping on a cloud. You can get 40% off if you use our code sexology and you can find the link on where you can enter the information to get the discount in the show note. At the end, I'll tell you all about my experience with their sheet. But without further ado, here's my conversation with Sheila Gregoire. Hello and welcome to another episode of Sexology Podcast. I am so excited and honored to welcome Sheila Gregoire to our show. Sheila, welcome to our show. Thank you. We're going to have some fun today. (laughs) Yes, yes. It's very interesting that I read your book and I thought it was fantastic. And my listeners, they know I grew up in a conservative community. My family were not religious. But I had like I had many of those teachings that you talk about. I got many of those teachings that you talk about in your book. So I'm kind of curious. So tell us about your book and how did you get interested in writing that? Right. Well, I'm writing from the perspective of evangelical Christianity and looking at how the messages around sex have actually hurt women's marital and sexual satisfaction. And I've been writing in this in this area for years, but I had actually read a lot of the other materials. So I was doing my own research. You know, I was creating orgasm courses and libido courses and looking at what, you know, what helped women rev their libido and what helped women move along the sexual response cycle. And I was doing all this great research. And I just assumed that other people who are writing about this also knew what they were talking about. But I kept having women come to me and say, but my pastor gave me this book. And it just made me feel terrible. And so I thought I should actually sit down and read some of these books. And my life changed in January of 2019 when I read a book called Love and Respect by a man named Emerson Egrich. And it's it's probably the best-selling marriage book in the Christian market. And when I read the chapter on sex, he said, if your husband is typical, he has a need you don't have. Oh, God. Oh, no. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Oh, and it gets so much worse. And that need is for physical release. So it's only about ejaculation. He said, he says to women, why would you deprive him of something which makes him so happy and takes such a short amount of time? Oh, God, (laughs) you're killing me, Sheila. (laughs) Oh, yeah. And I and there was not a single thing, not a single thing in that chapter about how sex should feel good for women, too or that women are even capable of orgasms. And so I decided that I was going to do something about this. And together with my daughter, who is a psychology grad, psychometrics, she took a lot of courses in psychometrics or survey design. And another uh, young woman who was working for me, who has a master's in epidemiology with a with an interest in statistics, we did the largest survey that's ever been done of evangelical women. So we surveyed 20,000 women to see which particular teachings that are prevalent in conservative religious circles hurt women's marital and sexual satisfaction. And we had a special emphasis, which I think you'll probably be interested in, on, on sexual pain. That was one of our outcome variables. So are there certain teachings which result in more sexual pain? Because we know that those are far more common in in conservative Muslim, Orthodox Jew, evangelical Christian communities. And and how can we fight against that and help rescue women from that? Well, I have so many comments and questions. (laughs) What a 
gift that you gave to the community because I know in the book you started saying that sex is a gift from God and I heard that before in religious teaching and it comes with million buts like it's impossible with all of those buts for you to enjoy sex so it turns to kind of like it's a way to have a child right Right. because there's just so much misinformation about women's sexuality as you mentioned their ability to experience orgasm what what makes relationships sexy so I think it's just so great that you did this research and survey and you're absolutely right that one of the number one questions I get from conservative women it's about sexual pain it's in general population the number is significantly lower I know it's still common but significantly lower and how how is it that all of these women who grew up with this messaging all of the sudden when they want to have sex they just can't like Mm -hmm. they it's interesting that they kind of some conservative people say that, you know, these these messaging are the way for women to get protected before getting married. But what I see, and I would imagine that's what you see as well, is that when women get married, when you're signing a paper, that doesn't change who you are and the messaging you got. So of course you would have pain and all of these issues. So I'm so excited to learn more about the surveys. I know you talked about them in the book, but tell us about some of the common ones. Right. So yes, so the book is The Great Sex Rescue. And in our survey, we basically found four, we identified four big beliefs that hurt sex and marriage. There's other ones, but we really concentrated on four big ones. And I think in in the words of Lord of the Rings, like there's kind of one ring to rule them all. You know, that, that one ring that rules them all is this idea that sex is for men. Okay. So, so when we think of sex as something which men need, then that, that is what causes everything to go awry. But then from that flow, a bunch of different ideas that can hurt. If I can just back up a bit, you know, you were, you were talking about how we're often told that sex is a gift from God and how that doesn't compute to so many of us, because how can something which isn't pleasurable be a gift? How can something which hurts be a gift? And I think what this gets at, and this is a larger conversation, not just in religious circles, but I think in in the general population, just how we talk about it is what is our definition of sex? Because if by sex, we mean sexual intercourse, which is what we tend to mean. So if someone says to you, did you have sex last night? First of all, that would mean they're really a creepy person. But but, but generally, <laughs> what you think they're, they're talking about is, did he put penis into vagina, move around till he climaxed? So we're picturing intercourse. If that's what sex is, though, she could be lying there making a grocery list in her head. (laughs) She could be in emotional turmoil or she could be in physical pain and it would still count as having sex. And so what we're trying to do in the book is to challenge people to ditch that definition. Okay, sexual intercourse and sex are not the same thing. Sex is anything sexual that you do together with the design of something which will be intimate mutual and pleasurable for both. (laughs) You know, that's what we're talking about in relationship, intimate, mutual, and pleasurable for both. And by that definition, if sex is hurting, if sexual intercourse is hurting, well, it's not really sex. And let's get this sorted out then. (laughs) So, you know, I think if we had that mutual, intimate, pleasurable for both definition, we might understand sex being a gift a little bit better. But if it's just intercourse, then yeah, for a lot of people, it's not a gift, it's a curse. 
right? And I hear that often, right? That like, consider me asexual. Maybe I'm asexual. And I know there are one or two percent of population that identify as asexual, Mm -hmm. but not all the women who grew up in a conservative community can be asexual. Like I hear that maybe 15 to 60 percent because of the frame kind of minds and framework that you mentioned that Mm -hmm. sex is something for men with zero to no foreplay. Mm-hmm. And you have to climax when they're five minutes of penetration, like vaginal penal penetration. Who can achieve that? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And, and, and we have this idea that his way of doing sex, because it's so easy for him, then that becomes our standard. And so then women just need to catch up. So if we, if, if intercourse doesn't feel good for us, then we must be broken If we don't have a spontaneous libido the way that he does, then we must have no sex drive. And there's no recognition of, you know, the difference, the different types of libido. There's no recognition of the sexual response cycle. And this just leads a lot of couples to really unsatisfactory sex and unsatisfying sex. You know, I think it comes back, I think, to one of the biggest beliefs that hurts. And we see this across the spectrum is the idea that a woman is obligated to give her husband sex when he wants it. You know, well, you're married now, so you owe it to him. And we found that roughly 43% of women said that they were taught this before they were married. 39% of evangelical women said they got married believing it. Fewer believe it now, but when they got married, they believed it. When women believe the obligation sex message, so they are obligated to give their husband sex when he wants it, their chance of experiencing vaginismus or primary sexual pain increases to almost the same statistical effect as if she had been abused. So that means that our bodies interpret the obligation sex message as trauma because obligation sex tells women you don't matter. He has the right to use you however you want. And that is inherently a traumatic message. But I love that. I think we had to pause for that to, for that to sink in. I mean, I, I, one of the kind of like complaint I hear from their partner of these women is that I don't know why my partner is not enthusiastic about sex. She's just laying there kind of like mm-hmm. without any movement and in the freeze response. But if that's what's happening, then that that makes sense. And I love that in the book, you talk about sex and intimacy being different for like even social media, kind of like not getting banned. Some sex educated therapists, including myself, we have to use it kind of like change it towards intimate sex to intimacy, but you talk mm-hmm. about it being different. So I think that's also important. How do you differentiate that yes because you know sex can be any two bodies moving together but intimacy says that i i am doing this we are bringing everything that we are to the bedroom i'm going to be vulnerable with you i'm not holding anything back and it's not just a meeting of two bodies it's a meeting of two souls and interestingly our study found and multiple other studies have found as well that women especially are far more orgasmic when they feel emotionally close. So it's that emotional vulnerability, which can actually fuel desire when we feel like we've bared. And and that's why, by the way, makeup sex is a thing. Like, you know how you've had a fight and you've, you've just hashed something big out for the last few hours and you're emotionally spent, but all of a sudden you want to jump each other. And it's because you've bared 
yourself emotionally. You've become really raw. And when we are raw, that does fuel desire because ultimately desire is this desire for connect. It's this, it's this desire for intimacy. And while sex can mimic that, it doesn't replace it in and of itself. And so when the two go together, it can be explosive. And I think that's, that's what's best. And that's what we really want to aim for. But too often we use sex as a counterfeit intimacy to make ourselves feel close without having to do the work of being close. Absolutely. And that can end up hurting a relationship. Right. And kind of like even knowing the difference is important. So one thing that I think is very interesting in your book, you talk about sexual satisfaction and overall relationship satisfaction and how is that connected? Can you tell us more about that? Yeah. So one of the hard things with doing a survey is how do you tease out correlation and causation? Because two things can be correlated, or in other words, they can move with each other, either in opposite directions or in the same direction, but they can move with each other. But it's not clear if one is influencing the other or if there's some other external thing which is influencing both of them. And so how do you figure that out when you're just taking one snapshot? And, And so we were trying to figure this out because it did look like if you have higher marital satisfaction, you have higher sexual satisfaction. And if you have higher sexual satisfaction, you have higher marital satisfaction. But when we took a closer look at the numbers, it did seem as if marital satisfaction was more connected to sexual satisfaction than the other way around. And so we did a ton of focus groups to expand on this, to try to tease this out. And that is what we found as well, is that A sexual relationship on its own cannot fix a bad marriage, but when you have a good marriage, you will tend to be able to deal with sexual issues better and your sex life will tend to be better, mostly because she will desire sex more. (laughs) So it does look like it goes in that direction, that your relationship quality impacts your sexual quality more than your sexual quality impacts your relationship quality, although they do go together. You read my mind because as I was reading that, I was wondering that, okay, if my partner is not enthusiastic about my orgasm inside the bedroom, (laughs) then Mm -hmm. I might not be a happy partner outside. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But you're saying that it's mostly kind of like the direction. It's the other other way based on the focus group that you've done and completely makes sense because Mm -hmm. many of the people I see like women consciously or unconsciously, they use sex as a weapon. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, that I don't like you, therefore I don't want to have sex with you or if it's not pleasurable why am i doing this yeah exactly and and i think that's a that's a legitimate question <laughs> right <laughs> like if it's not pleasurable, you know, we found a 47 point orgasm gap. Oh, wow. And that's actually quite in line with what other studies have found. Ours was slightly higher than some, but lower than others. So we kind of fell right in the middle because we looked at other large scale surveys of specifically heterosexual couples. But since that was the same as our focus, as, as our population of interest, but basically here's what it means. 95% of guys report that they almost always are always orgasm in a sexual encounter, but the equivalent number for women is only 40. So we got a 47 point orgasm gap. So when people are complaining that women have a very low libido, we have to ask, well, is it that women have a low libido or is it that they don't have anything to look forward to? Like, I like to tell the story of a dinner saga. Okay. Imagine this. Imagine if a couple is told that what she really needs in order to feel connected is to go out to dinner 
once a week at a restaurant. And so our couple, we'll call them like Dustin and Tracy. Okay, so Dustin and Tracy dutifully go to this restaurant and they sit down and they order their appetizer and their main course and their dessert. And they start talking about their plans for the future and what they're going to do with their kids. And Tracy's appetizer arrives. Okay, it's a lovely French onion soup. She eats it. It's amazing. She enjoys it, but nothing comes for Dustin. And they continue talking about their plans for summer vacation and Tracy's steak with peppercorn sauce and baked potato arrives and she slathers the sour cream on and it's like a beautiful medium rare it's just done perfectly and she's eating this and declaring it delicious but nothing comes for Dustin and then the waitress brings Tracy's molten lava cake okay for dessert and she puts her spoon in and chocolate pools on the spoon and she's ooing and she's gushing and just as she's about halfway done the molten lava cake Dustin's chicken wing appetizer arrives and he eats one and he eats two. And just as he's coming to his third, Tracy stands up and says, that was an amazing dinner. I love doing this with you and heads to the door. And Dustin follows her looking forlornly at the three chicken wings that are still on his plate. And you think to yourself, how much is Dustin going to want to keep coming to restaurants? But that's what a lot of women go through night after night, week after week, year after year. And what we found in our surveys is that women can maintain that for about a decade and then they just stop. (laughs) Like if sex does nothing for them, they just stop. You know, we often measure sexless marriages and, you know, there's different numbers as to how many I've seen upwards of 10% of marriages truly qualify as clinically sexless. We found closer to 5.9. So we found a little bit fewer as truly sexless marriages. But we also found that in almost the same statistical number of women, so I think this was 5.6, but I could be making that up. But it's It's very similar. Lived in relationships where they didn't, they never orgasmed and they did not feel emotionally close during sex. So they felt totally split off from him. How is that any different than a sexless marriage? Like in a lot of ways, that's worse because she's actually going through the motions and she's feeling used. It's better to not have sex at all than to feel used and feel nothing. (laughs) And so I think we need to start asking the question, is simply having sexual intercourse enough or do we need a new definition of a sexless marriage? I love the analogy you provided. And I think it's just like, it's such an accurate one, right? That it uh, sometimes uh, people can kind of like first couple of times gift kind of like going to that restaurant with their partner, or it seems like a decade. I don't know who are these heroes. <laughs> that <laughs> A kind of like experiences for a decade, but you can tolerate that. And after that, like you just don't want it because whether it becomes more painful or as you age, then like your body changes and just becomes more uncomfortable. So that absolutely makes sense. And it's my experience. It's not like that these men don't want to gift their partner with kind mm-hmm. of like the climax and orgasm and all of that wonderful dinner experience. It's just like they are so misinformed. I have this kind of like I'm bilingual and I have this Farsi show and I was talking and one of the things that women like themselves or the partner can touch the partner's clitoris during intercourse. And someone said, oh no, that would be masturbation if she's touching <laughs> it and that's a sin. I was like, oh my God, how much information we need to have right that why does that even issue so for the couples that are very misinformed because of their upbringing how can they change that 
I think just read good materials and take your time and don't settle. That's the biggest one. Don't settle because what often happens is a couple will decide, okay, we want to figure out what makes her feel good. Okay. So we're actually, we're going to do this. Like you get, you get yourself all psyched up. It's like, we are going to do this. And so you start out and he's touching her and she's feeling nothing. And, you know, he tries different things and it's too rough, but she doesn't know what to tell him to do. And she's confused and she just feels so awkward. And finally, what she'll say is, no, it's okay. Don't worry about it. Just go ahead. (laughs) And that's what a lot of us do. We say, no, it's okay. Just go ahead. Because we feel selfish. We feel like we're broken. We feel like there's something wrong with me because I'm not responding to what I'm supposed to respond to. So we read all the information that says women like having their clitoris touched or women enjoy oral sex or women. And so he tries this and she feels nothing. And what we talk about in the great sex rescue is that arousal is really the missing piece because often what we're doing is we're trying these things too early. So if you think of a sexual response cycle, you you know, you want to get to orgasm, but there's several key steps first. There's excitement, you know, where you're just kind of getting warmed up. Your heart rate might be going a little faster. You're just feeling a little tingly. And then you get to arousal where you're starting to get more lubricated, you know, the areola is enlarged, like all of those physical changes take place. The problem is a lot of people go straight for the clitoris before she's even excited. And when you do that, it feels like a pap smear. (laughs) Okay, you may as well be in the stirrups in a doctor's office. Like it doesn't feel nice. (laughs) And so you need to understand that in the sexual response cycle, there's different things you do at each stage. And for a lot of women, if you jump in to the stuff that would make her feel good at the arousal stage, if you jump in too early before she's there, it's not going to feel good. So, you know, when you're just starting to get excited, like just kiss her, kiss her neck, whisper in her ear, run your hand along her arm, give her a massage, you know, like let her inhabit her body again. A lot of women do not know how to inhabit our bodies. Like we're, we're thinking a million things and it's like, just let her center, let her experience physical sensations. And then as she starts to get, you know, more of the heart rate going, then you can try some of these other things. And then finally you can move on to the clitoris, but don't go right for the clitoris before she's even aroused. I love these analogies. I, I must borrow it. Like I mentioned your name, but I'll, I must borrow it in future. <laughs> They're just so great. I guess the other question I have, and I want to hear your thoughts on that. I think you're absolutely right with arousal, right? That like you need psychological arousal and physiological arousal before being ready to kind of have that if penetration is something that you want, just even having the changes in the body that would make it comfortable for you. Many women, I see that they lean into the psychological arousal material because it helps them to get more, remain engaged. So psychological mm-hmm. arousal could be kind of like steamy books or watching mm-hmm. some kind of movies or some kind of fantasizing about things that goes against many of the thing that people learn in their religion so mm-hmm. how can you, people navigate that that if they want to kind of honor their religion but also want to experience arousal i really think what people are missing is embodiment i read a really interesting study that just came out like six months ago in one of the journals of sex research for the life of me i can't remember which one it was but you know it's it's this idea of mindfulness and embodiment which is so useful and what it found is that 
if women are going to feel good, we need to focus on what our bodies are feeling. Okay, so we need to get out of our heads and focus on what our bodies are feeling. If if women are going to feel good, men likewise need to focus on what women are feeling. Like the more everyone focuses on what she is feeling, the better everyone feels. So if men focus on what men are feeling, <laughs> sex is over too quickly. And it's not that enjoyable. If women focus on what men are feeling. So if we, if we think I am here to make him feel good, I am here to satisfy him. Then often we don't experience the kind of pleasure that we need to. Not that there's not a place for that. Okay. So (laughs) there can be some really fun, sexy things you can do for your guy. There can be lots of times where it's just really fun to feel powerful to see how excited you can get him. So I'm not trying to put that down. I'm just saying when you're working on becoming orgasmic yourself, learning how to, how to just practice embodiment. And if you're not good at it during sex, try things like yoga. Yoga is really cool because as you're stretching, what you're being taught to do is to listen to whether your body wants more or less, you know, and it's a skill that you learn. You learn to match movement with breathing. And that's a skill that you learn. And we can transfer that to the bedroom. And we can start saying, okay, what is my body wanting right now? And if you keep asking yourself that question, it sounds really strange, but, but when you're trying to get excited, when you're, when you're wanting to get aroused, take some deep breaths and just ask yourself what part of my body wants to be touched. And you might've thought you were at like zero arousal. You weren't excited at all. But as soon as you ask yourself that question and you pay attention, it can be like, oh, hey, look at that. Like something's actually wanting to be touched. And then, you know, you, you can tell him, move his hand, do whatever you need to do. And just keep asking yourself that question. Do I want more or less? A little to the left, a little to the right, like whatever. But ask yourself and keep asking yourself. And that keeps your mind present and you're much more likely to experience pleasure that way because what a lot of women do is we lie there and we think what's on my to-do list for tomorrow is there milk in the fridge for breakfast you know what am I going to get the kids is there's oh gosh if there's no milk I got to make them toast do I have bread you know and we do this whole grocery and we figure as soon as he hits the right spot then I'll come back and I'll enjoy myself but until then I'll just think about all these other things but when you're thinking about all those other things he could be doing an amazing job he could be Michelangelo and you won't (laughs) notice it okay (laughs) because if your brain's not engaged your body doesn't follow no matter what he's doing. <laughs> and so we need to, we need to be engaged. I, I really appreciate what you said. And I think that desire and need for distraction, it's when you kind of like been doing something that you don't like, like, although I love sex, I hate gynecological visits. <laughs> so as they're doing examination, purposely, I distract myself because it feels uncomfortable. So yeah. I see like some of the women, they do that. It's uncomfortable. Let mm-hmm. me distract myself, think about the grocery list and all of that. Or maybe you've been training yourself to do that, which that's the case for most people. And I love the idea of embodiment because as you mentioned also, it's there's so many interesting studies on even women who have low desire if they're practicing Mm -hmm. mindfulness outside the bedroom that will help in increasing your desire i think that's just always so mind-blowing that's something that Mm -hmm. feels so accessible to everyone 
can yes. change it. But I also think about that when you have orgasm anxiety, if you feel shame in your body, it's mm-hmm. just so hard to be in your body. You just want to kind of like distract yourself. And I think that's why the psychological arousals are so mm-hmm. popular, right? Because it helps you to get out of your kind of like that body and that anxiety. Yeah, absolutely. And a lot of us do feel so much shame. We feel shame for for having any sexual feelings, but we can also just feel shame over our bodies in general. One of the other messages that we found was really harmful is the idea that all men struggle with lust. It's every it's every man's battle. So every guy is lusting after every woman. He just, you know, wants to hump everything he sees. And that's a very threatening message. And often in religious circles, it's combined with modesty messages. So, you know, women need to cover up to prevent men from being tempted. And so women's bodies are seen as a threat, often from a very young age. And that can add so much shame to a lot of women. And getting over that can be a difficult thing. You know, one of, one of the really nice things about our research, because a lot of it was seriously depressing, okay? Like you look at how widespread these problems are and, and how, much, how much pain a lot of women are in. But one of the, the bright spots in our focus groups was speaking to so many women who said that it was their husbands, their partners that really helped get them out of this mindset. Because the guys were like, I don't ever want you to do anything you don't want to do. I don't want you to feel like you're responsible for whether or not I'm going to cheat on you. Like that's, that's on me. That's not on you. You don't owe me anything. I'm here because I love you. And when guys did that and proved over time that they were trustworthy, it was amazing how much the women really blossomed. What a wonderful kind of kind of like finding that like the men can be also the partner in this and helping people to feel comfortable because I think that's where the idea of chore sex comes, right? That if you're not giving it to him, he's constantly battering the sense of loss. Someone else at the office will give it to him. (laughs) So you have to go through this painful experience to prevent that. And many women, like as we know, no one is responsible for someone else's action. But I feel so betrayed even more when they realize that the partner went out of the relationship, even though they put out with all of these kind of quote unquote chore sexual experiences that they have. That can be such a hard kind of like pattern to break. For people who are stuck there, what are some of the things that for women you recommend? Do you recommend them to say like, I don't want to have sex or like, Mm -hmm. how can we change that? One of the biggest things that we heard repeated over and over again in our focus groups was men empowering women to say no. That was huge. Uh, In some cases, it looked like we're not going to have intercourse for three months. And we're just going to kiss so that you, you realize that I can be a decent human being, even if we don't have sex. So you don't need to have sex under threat or coercion. You you know, I really, I'm a good person and I can handle this for others. It meant we're not going to have intercourse for however long, couple of weeks, couple of months, whatever, but we're going to work on bringing you to orgasm. So we're going to figure out how your body works and we're going to put my needs aside for now. And for some people, it didn't look like a sex fast. For some, it meant a husband telling a wife, look, if we're ever in the middle of something, like even right in the middle of it, and you're like, no, I've changed my mind. You know, you speak up and we will stop. 
And her feeling like she could, because umpteen studies have shown that one of the biggest predictors of women's orgasm is the ability to speak up in the middle and say what you want. And so many women feel like they can't. And so giving her permission to speak up, even if the speaking up was saying, I'm done, I want to stop. And then he would roll over and go to sleep and not punish her for it. You know, that made her feel like, okay, wait a minute. Like he really is okay. I'm not doing this for him. I am doing this because I want to. And because this truly is a desire that I have, it's not just an obligation. That's what awakened their sex drives. It was men proving that you're not obligated, (laughs) that I'm not an animal, that I can be a decent human being, (laughs) even without sex, that I'm not going to punish you. And that's what awakened her sex drive. And so I would just say, if you're really on this merry-go-round where she cannot find her libido, where it's just gone, (laughs) You know, taking that time and saying, no, I'm going to prove it to you that you can say no and we will still be okay. And so then when you, when we are having sex, it's because you genuinely want to. That's what often awakens sex drives. Because, you know, if a woman feels like she can't say no, she's never going to be able to really say yes ever because she's always going to feel the back of her mind. Am I doing this because I want to, or because if I don't, he'll be grumpy or because if I don't, he'll lust or because if I don't, I'll be a bad wife. And so even if she thinks she may actually want to, all those other thoughts are still there and it really puts a damper on libido. And I love this kind of conversation of kind of like speaking during the sex and also not saying if you don't want to. One of the ideas that was very revolutionary for me, this idea of that the consent is something that's reversible. I was under kind of like in a way, assumption, I guess. I hope I was, it wasn't learned. Assumption that if you engage in foreplay, what comes after that, you let it. And you can say no. And I know many women feel that. That like, okay, if I like this... I feel like this just so discrediting men that like in the middle, they're ha- they don't have the ability to mm-hmm. stop. Like even in some state around rape, they say that. Like, you know, like when you say like in the middle, if you say no, that doesn't count, which is so crazy. So I love this idea of kind of retraining ourselves and even with our partners and showing that it's not going to be a consequence in a way. I know it sounds horrible, but if you say no in the middle, right? I'm an adult. I'm going to be able to take care of my needs. You're not my sex object. And a sex object can be a sexy thing, but not this kind of a sex object. Yes, exactly. I always use the raccoon test. If a raccoon dropped on the bed right now, would you be able to stop? <laughs> <laughs> and if the answer is yes, then we can stop. <laughs> but, but, no, I think, I think that's exactly true. And I think a lot of, a lot of couples don't know what consent really looks like too. And that keeps a lot of, of couples having really destructive sex lives because it doesn't always look like coercion if he's holding you down and pinning you down. I mean, obviously that can, that obviously is coercion, but it can also be coercion if, if you don't have sex with him, he watches porn and he tells you, I'm going to go watch porn if you don't do this. Or if you don't have sex with me, I'm just going to be miserable to you for the next few days. Or, you know, if you don't have sex with me, then I'm going to yell at the kids more. So if you're having sex with him in order to prevent him from doing something bad, that actually is a form of coercion. And it's going to kill libido. It's going to kill your marriage or your relationship. And it's, it's not a good dynamic and it needs to be addressed because that's actually a sign of abuse. 
Absolutely. And I love this idea of you have to be able to say no to, to being able to say yes. Because again, mm-hmm. if you want your partner to be enthusiastic, it's, it's important for them to engage in the behavior when they are ready and excited about it. And you deserve to have sex with someone as, as men. You deserve to have sex with people that are interested and excited. Mm-hmm. So I think that that can change the dynamic, this kind of different looking kind of perspective on that. I bet that people are curious to learn more about your book. How can they find their teaching? So tell us a little bit about yourself and all of these wonderful books and offering that you have. Yes. So I have been blogging at baremarriage.com. We're about to move over to the new domain, baremarriage.com for years. And I have the Bear Marriage podcast every Thursday, a bear like (laughs) B-A-R-E, where we like to strip away all the crap and all the bad teachings and get towards real intimacy. And then the book is The Great Sex Rescue, which is available everywhere. And if you're not sure if you want it, just go to Amazon, look up The Great Sex Rescue and just read the reviews. There's, I think there's almost 1800 of them now. And they're really amazing about just how many women feel like they've been set free. And we're working on all kinds of papers for different journals, looking at sexual pain. So we're we're getting into the academic circles as well with some of our research, but just excited to change the narrative and get away from some of the destructive messaging. Absolutely. And thank you so much for giving people this opportunity of you can have your faith and have great sex, right? Mm -hmm. Because I feel like at times that these things can be contradictory. Like you have to either choose your faith or kind of having great sex. And so I think it's good to have resources that, that can allow you and help you to think through how can I have passionate marriages with, Mm -hmm. with the values that I have. Thank you so much for coming on this show. Thank you for your book and all the wonderful work that you do and the information about those resources will be in the show notes and have a lovely day. Thank you. It's been great to be here. I hope you guys enjoyed our conversation. And if you have found resources to be able to have passionate sexual experiences and also be faithful to your religion, I'm kind of curious to learn more about that because many of my clients are honestly struggling with that. And that's a challenge that they have. So make sure you're sending me those resources so I can share with others as well. Next episode, we're going to talk about embodiment as well. If you want to learn more about embodied sexuality, make sure you are following this podcast so you will learn from next episode. At the end, I wanted to take a moment and thank our sponsor, Cozy Earth. If you want to have uninterrupted sleep, make sure you are getting their sheets. I love sleeping with my husband in the same bed, but we have different body temperature. And before using Cozy Earth, I used to get super hot in the middle of the night and it was very uncomfortable. And the sheets I was getting wasn't lasting long. And so since we started using Cozy Earth, my quality of sleep significantly improved. And there's just just so comfortable and soft. If you use our code Sexology, you will get 40% off. So the sheets are worth every penny of it, especially again, if you're using our Cozy uh, discount, you will be able to get it at significant reduced cost. Again, thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Thank you so much for supporting this show by using our code from our sponsors and also see you guys next week right here thanks for listening 
the Sexology Podcast. For more great content, visit www.sexologypodcast.com. Please be advised that information presented on this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health provider.